Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. This is Beth Heaton. I'm back. I feel, as I always do, like it's been a long time since I hosted the show. Um, and as always, I'm always uh, excited to be here. So the sad thing today for me anyway is that summer is officially over. Uh, it may not say that on the calendar, but uh, for my colleagues and me and all of our student listeners uh, and everyone who's back to school there's no denying it anymore. Labor Day has come and gone, and it is no longer summer. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm a little sad. I shed a little bit of a tear. I won't, I won't lie. But the good news is that we are now in the thick of the college application season, and that's why we're here, um, and that's what we love to do. And so today we have lots of helpful information for you, I hope. Um, one of the things we're going to talk about today are some tools for researching colleges, but from a financial perspective. Uh, and I know all of the parents listening will appreciate this and probably the students as well. You know, whether or not you can afford a college is such an important piece and whether or not it makes it onto your list. So we're going to talk about some tools for helping with that piece. I'm in office hours today. We're going to talk about the why this college essay that many colleges ask you to write. Uh, so you definitely want to stick around for that. Uh, before we get to all that, a couple of months ago, my colleague, Lisa Albro, uh, came on the show and we talked about the process of applying to college as a first-generation student. And I'm super excited to welcome Lisa back to the show today. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Beth. Hi. So Lisa is not only my colleague, she's also a former admissions officer at Goucher College, a former guidance counselor at uh, a few different high schools. And she just happens to be first-generation uh, college herself, so she's the perfect expert in basically every conceivable way to talk about this. Um, and really what we wanted to talk about today is kind of what comes next. So we talked about the challenges that face first-gen students when they're applying to college, and now we want to talk about kind of what happens once you apply, get in, and go. Um, and I guess that's my first question for you today is, what are some of the challenges that first-generation students should expect when they arrive on campus for the first time? Yep. I think, Beth, you've probably heard the expression, you don't know what you don't know, right? Yep. Uh, I, I think that really applies to first-gen college students. You, you, you don't always know what you don't know, um, so then you start to find that out, right? Um, I think there are a lot of unknowns. Uh, to being the first one in your family to be on the college campus. And so uh, some of the challenges I think they, they face, uh, some of the internal challenges uh, tend to be a little bit of guilt sometimes. They, mm-hmm. they feel like maybe uh, they're, they're separating from their family maybe for the first time, especially if they're going away to school, if they're not just you know commuting, but they're going away, living on campus, um, there might be some guilt feelings. Maybe uh, they were very active in their family's lives before, and, and now they're away from that. Uh, but also guilt for being, you know, kind of branching off and being in a different mode, doing something very different from what their, their elders maybe had mm-hmm. done. Um, mm-hmm. Challenges, too, though, in the unknown, uh, not always knowing how to navigate this kind of new world. You know, if their parents hadn't gone to college, uh, they may not have said, okay, here's what to expect, or here are some things you should do when you first get there. Um, they, you know, parents may not have known what to tell them, except maybe good luck or study hard. That's kind of what my parents did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they got me set up in the dorm room and kissed me goodbye and said, okay, you know, do, do a good job and work real hard. And, um, uh, you know, so that's hard. Um, so they may, they may feel a little disconnect there from their families on the one side, but also from a lot of the students. Uh, they might assume that they're the only ones in this boat, and that's not true. I actually was doing a little research and discovered that uh, first gens make up around 20% of uh, the, the number of college students in, in four-year schools at least. And so, you know, they do have kindred spirits on campus. They just don't know who they are yet, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, what you're saying resonates with me. I actually 
um, both my husband and um, my best friend from college were both first gen and my husband's family parents thought he was avoiding work by going to college. So there was not a lot of support for what he was doing. And I think there was some guilt around, you know, are my parents right? Am I avoiding work by doing this? And um, my best friend, she was very tight with her family. And she, you know, everyone always was together all the time, weekends, you know, after school. Uh, And so to leave that, she felt she was missing out on a lot of those things. And there was also a lot of guilt, I think, with how come you're not here while we're doing all of these things. So um, those really resonate when you were mentioning them. I'm like, yeah, now that you mention it, I actually know of a few examples of that. Um, any other challenges? I kind of, I cut in there because I wanted to to uh, to say that, but any other challenges that you were going to um, mention before we move on to, to some of the next things? No, I think those were mainly the challenges. Okay, yeah. great. So you made a really good point there, which was there are a lot of other first-gen students on campus, 20%, in fact, but you don't know it. Um, So short of kind of saying to everyone, hey, are you first-gen too, um, what are some resources that students can access to help them acclimate a little bit better um, and, and get the resources they need to support them while they're there? Mm-hmm. Great question. They should look on their own school's website or check with their student life office maybe to see does the campus have some sort of program, something for first-gen college students. I actually started researching it myself just to see, okay, what's out there? And I found that a number of campuses had their own sites, their own websites, their own support groups, or just kind of, a, I, I guess, communities, you could say, mm-hmm. online uh, for first-gen college students, but lots of, you know, different activities and, and things to kind of connect them and connect them to the larger campus community. So, you know, not to separate them out to say, okay, all you first-gen kids go over there, N- nothing right. like that, but just to, to give them sort of that, that entree to the college, uh, to, to help them recognize who each other is and was, mm-hmm. and and to help them better assimilate as they, you know, as they move through college. Uh, so the Dean of Students Office, the Student Life Office, Residential Life is, is a good place to kind of maybe ask. If, if they're living on campus, maybe ask the RA, uh, the resident assistant on campus. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I did that job for a few years in college, and, and it was my job to be the resource, to be the, the kind of the conduit to the students living in my dorm, to point them in the right direction or help them find things. Um, you know, they, they needed to ask. Usually, although if I had new kids, new students, freshmen, mm-hmm. I'd find out what their backgrounds were. And if I found out that they were first gen, sometimes I would know who to connect them to right there in the dorm to, to help mm-hmm. them, you know, not feel as alone. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Academic support <clears throat> services, though, also something to consider that, you know, they might feel a little bit like fish out of water in certain ways. This is not to say that all first gen kids are going to struggle academically. That's not true at all. Uh, but if they're if they're feeling that they're in an unfamiliar setting, um, especially academically, a lot of campuses have academic support services. They have learning centers, they have writing centers uh, where they can go and, and seek tutoring or just seek, you know, just some guidance, some support. Uh, Career development is another office on campus they may want to link up with early on to find out about Mm -hmm. things like internships and and other opportunities outside the classroom that help them to network and help them to get to know other people. Right, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, some those internships can come from people you know and from your parents, but in the case of first gen, that's not always going to be the case. It's not necessarily not going to be the case, to your point. Um, there are plenty of first gen kids whose parents could be very successful and have lots of connections to help them with. But for those kids feeling really adrift from the other stuff, there are so many great resources um, that can help them. And, and we talk about it so much. Isn't this one of the reasons you go to college, right? You go to make connections, to meet people, to um, access resources that are going to help you. Because otherwise, you could just stay at home and go to the local um, school, which some of these students may be doing. I shouldn't um, write that off. But if you're living on campus, this is one of the goals um, of doing that. Um, so you you mentioned when your parents dropped you off, it was sort of like, okay, well, do well and, you know, be safe and all of that. So if you could go back mm-hmm. 
and talk to that person, you know, you that day when they were dropping um, you off. What are the things that you would um, tell that that first gen student who you were back then, you know, of things that they should remember or do when they're on campus? Mm -hmm. That is a great question. I think the first thing I would say is you belong here. You know, you, you, you were admitted. You belong just like everyone else does here. You're going to be fine. There may be some things you don't know, but assert yourself. Start asking questions. And I think that's true for all students, not just first gen. You, you, you know, you're coming from a, a, usually a very protected and a safe environment at home where, in many cases, parents are doing for you. They're making your doctor's appointments. They're, you know, they're doing those sorts of things. And all of a sudden, you're finding yourself on your own, and you've got to start self-advocating. You've got to start reaching out and asking those questions, um, you know, finding out what, what it is you don't know, <laughs> right? Right. Um, f- find a mentor, or, 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 you know, somebody uh, either ahead of you, a student, an older student, uh, a, a professor, a TA, somebody that you feel comfortable talking to and, and you know, kind of chew, chew on their ear a little bit. See if they can, they can guide you a little bit and, and help you out. They might have an idea of, of someone else you might be able to talk to about this or about that. Um, and then have a plan. You know, have a plan for the next four years and, and beyond. It, it may change, but, you know, don't just kind of go, go gliding through this experience and, and having things happen to you. Uh, make them happen for you, I think, is, is the big thing to consider. And it took me a little while in that first semester to learn that for myself. But once I realized, wait, I'm guiding this ship. Right, <laughs> you know? right. I need to ask these questions. Here's what else I need to know more about, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go find it. Right, right. I, I think that is brilliant advice. Um, I think it's brilliant advice probably for every single student going to college, um, not just the first gen, but uh, it's a, it is um, a, probably a very important reminder for someone who maybe other people may not be saying that to. Um, this is great. Um, any, any other things that you would want a first-generation student to know or be thinking about or the parent of a first-generation student as they send their child off to college? Yeah, I'm glad you said the parent, Beth, because I did want to kind of throw that in there. I think a lot of parents wonder what to do. And I think if they, if they don't know what to expect from the actual college environment, the best thing they can do is give emotional support. You know, be there for their kids listen to them, you know, help them talk through their concerns or their problems. And, and you know, if they, if they just need a listening ear, I think being the emotional support is the best thing. And, and I will say that even though my parents didn't know the answers for me in a lot of cases, just knowing that they were there to listen, you know, I could mm-hmm. have that phone call and, and maybe cry or, <laughs> or express yep. frustration or, or elation over something <clears throat> exciting that had happened. But having that support from home, made a big difference for me as as that first-gen kid. And I know it does yeah. for the students I work with now. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You don't have to know what they're, you don't have to know specifically what they're going through or be able to solve their problems. And quite honestly, again, advice for all parents, I think, whether they are first-gen or not, is this is the time for kids to figure this stuff out themselves, but you can certainly support them emotionally in all of this without having to worry, oh, I don't know how to fix this for them. Well, that's what they're there to learn to do. If they don't already know how to do that, this is the time to figure that out. Absolutely. Um, uh, Lisa, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us today, and uh, I think some really helpful information here. You bet. My pleasure. All right. Uh, Well, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to be giving you some tools to help with researching schools from a financial perspective. So you're going to want to hear that. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. 
Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back. I'm very excited to welcome my colleague and former financial aid officer at Menlo College and Rochester Institute of Technology, among others, uh, Tara Piantanita Kelly. Hi, Tara. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm super excited to have you here today because we talk about putting together a college list and researching colleges and doing all of that on a semi-regular basis here on the show, but I'm not actually sure that we've ever talked about it from this perspective, which seems like a no-brainer, and uh, which is why I'm thrilled that we're doing it today. So everyone just heard your background, which is in um, college finance and financial aid, and so you're going to tell us about some tools that people can use to research colleges that help you think about it from the geez, can I afford to pay for this school um, <laughs> perspective? So I guess, you know, first question for you is when you're talking to a family about researching colleges, you talk about it, I talk about it. My, I'm guessing what I talk about is a little different from what you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But what do they want to know when they talk to you about researching colleges? Um, well, I, you know, I find that families, oftentimes they don't know what to ask. They, you know, they don't know what they don't know. So I just start by asking them what's important to them. You know, if, if, if you have a, if it's a blank check and, and you're going to pay 70 grand if your kid goes to a school for 70 grand and you got that covered, you don't need to talk to me. <laughs> but right. if that's not the case, then, then, you know, are they interested in finding merit scholarships or do they want to look at schools that maybe meet full needs? So I, I start asking them what's important to you. And then based on what they tell me, I tell them about the tools that are going to help them. So let's say, you know, if a family doesn't know if they're going to qualify for any need-based aid, well, I talk about the student's expected family contribution and how that's determined and how schools use it. And then I tell them where they can go so that they can quickly and easily calculate the student's ESD. They didn't even know that that was a possibility. Right. Awesome. Then it has to be nice, a nice light bulb moment of, oh, okay, great. There's a tool for this. Um, yes. There's actually a lot of tools for this stuff. So why don't we, let's get to the meat of this and, and dig into kind of what are your favorite tools? Talk to us about some of those. Oh, gosh. Well, when I heard we were going to talk about this segment, I, was, I jumped on it because I'm all about the tools. I have these tools open on my computer all day, every day, and there's just there's a, a lot of great ones. So one, the, the most important one that families sometimes don't even realize is that the college's websites themselves have a huge amount of information. Um, so, you know, if you're looking at, you know, ABC University, go on their website and see what they have, you know, what kind of information you can get there. Um, I'm also, I also like the College Board's website. They have a lot of great information. But one of my very favorites is the Department of Education's College Navigator website. And I'm on there all day, every day. Now, uh, to a lesser degree, I also, you know, look at college rankings like U.S. News and World Report, Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, The Peterson's Guide. 
And um, another tool that technically I can't use this, but I always encourage families to reach out to their student's high school guidance counselor. They can be just a great resource. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the challenge, of course, with the guidance counselor is that they're often really tapped for time, but they may also have their own resources, right, that they can tap into that might be useful for a family. Or if you've done a little bit of research, they can be a great sounding board for, okay, we've kind of narrowed it to some of these. What do you think? And um, and I agree. Your guidance counselor is such an important ally in this process uh, and, and accessing them when you can um, and making really good use of that time rather than going in and saying, where do we start? You know, get take the advice you're getting here, get started, and then go in with a few more pointed questions that will really maximize the time you get with that person. Um, Absolutely. So- and, and sometimes... I'm sorry, but sometimes those high school guidance counselors really have their finger on the pulse of local scholarships, too. Yep, so yep. That, they can be used for that as well. Absolutely. Uh, that's a really good point. Um, and, uh, yeah. <clears throat> so in terms of um, the things you can find using these tools, I think that's that's – an interesting thing. You know, you mentioned the EFC calculator and how that lets families understand, oh, this is how much the colleges are going to expect us to be able to pay. Good to know. Um, might be shocking, <laughs> might not be. <laughs> might be shocking, both good or bad. Um, but what other, what other kinds of things do, can you find um, using these tools? Okay. Well, um, well, let's start with, with the college's website, um, just because I, I always like to start there. So, you know, if a, if a family says, oh, you know, we're looking at, um, I don't know, Carnegie Mellon University, and I say, well, have you checked to see what kind of merit-based scholarships they offer? And they thought, they think, no, can you do that? Yeah, go on to their <laughs> <Yep>. website. <laughs> and in their little search bar, type in merit scholarships and, and see what comes up. You know, uh, some schools are really good about giving information. You know, like I've found schools that say, if you come in with this GPA and this SAT score, you get this scholarship in this amount, and it's very helpful. Other scholarship, other schools are more vague. You know, our top applicants get the right. SAT scholarship, and that can be from ten dollars to a million dollars. You know, not super right. helpful. Right, not helpful. At least, at least then you know. <laughs> yes, that's so true. At least you know. Um, and then when families are on the college's website, I always say, you know, why don't you do the school's net price calculator? And schools, some families don't even know about this. But I say, you know, you can go onto any school's website and search for their net price calculator. And when you answer the questions, that school is going to give you an instant estimated financial aid award right then and there. And that can be, you know, a huge, um, you know, bunch of information for the school. It might say, yep, here at our school, you just get student loans. Whereas at another school, they might say, you qualify for a, you know, $30,000 grant. Hmm. Right. Okay, that's right. good to know. <laughs> so, and and Tara, the reason, the reason that that's available on every website is it's required, correct? Every college must provide that? Yep, that's exactly right. It was mandated by law, I think, in 2010, I think. Yep. But, yeah, on any school's website, you can find their, their particular net price calculator, and you can run it. Right, right, exactly. So people might be thinking, well, not every school is going to do that. Well, actually, they, they are because they are required to. Um, yep. Okay, so that's the school's website. Um, what about some of the other tools that you mentioned? Um, well, you know, if, if you're looking at a school's website, you're all, clearly only going to get their information. Um, so if you're looking, if you have maybe 10 or 15 or 20 schools that you want to just get some an overview of information instead of going to their website and, and taking all that time, um, you can go just to the College Sports website. They have an overview of every college in the U.S., and they have a ton of information. Um, so for each college profile um, on the College Board, you can see, you know, what their total cost is both for in-state and out-of-state if they're public. Um, the College Board's profile for that school will have financial aid information, including things like deadlines and, and which applications are required. And then they have a ton of financial aid data, things like, you know, uh, the percentage of freshmen who had financial need and received aid, you know, the average percent of need met, the average first-year financial aid package, you know, how with the average need-based loan. They have a ton of information so that you can kind of – scan through and say, okay, I can, I can research, you know, 20 schools on the College Board's website, and I can do it within, you know, in less than an hour rather than going to 20 schools' websites. So you can certainly right. do that. But the College Board also has, that's where the EFC calculator is as well, on the College Board's website. 
And they also have the list of schools that require the, the CSS profile. So if the school does require um, the profile, it'll be listed there as well. So tons of information on College Board. Right. And, and actually, um, we didn't specifically talk about it, but we have done other segments on the FAFSA and the CSS profile. But um, just there are schools that just require the FAFSA and others that require the FAFSA and the CSS profile. So that is great to know, right? You can see the schools that are going to require that profile right there in the college board. And then maybe, you know, you narrow your list from 20 to 10, and then you go to the school's individual websites. If you don't want to go to 20 individual websites initially, that at least uh, right. knocks that down a little bit. What about... Yeah, absolutely. What about, you know, you feel like, okay, I got a lot of data from their website. You know, the one, the one thing that can be very frustrating about the college's websites, and I deal with this on a pretty regular basis with my students, is just stuff doesn't live in the same place. It's hard to find. You know, mm-hmm. you really do sometimes have to dig a lot, right? And then they might yes. provide what they repro- they may provide only what's required or like you that example you just gave, they may really lay it out and then they may sort of talk fairly generically. And then the college board is going to give you information, but you know, maybe you want more information. What are what other resources do you recommend if you want even more data than what you can find on the website and on um, the college board? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you, my very favorite site is the Department of Education's College Navigator. Um, it, unfortunately, it's not collegenavigator.com. They don't make it that easy to find. But if you open a search engine and type in College Navigator, you'll eventually get there. Um, and College Navigator is a Department of Ed uh, website, and every school in the U.S. is required to give data to the department. And this is one of the places where the department aggregates all that. So every single school in the U.S. is on there, and it tells the same data for every single school. So you really can compare apples to apples. That's why I love it. Um, They do have a search function where you can say, okay, you know, like what I did when we were looking for schools for my daughter, I said, you know, tell me every school, you know, four-year school within, you know, a 100-mile radius of my zip code because I didn't want my little baby girl going too far. (laughs) But you can also search by, you know, programs and, and even athletic teams. You can do a search. But um, I don't usually use the search tool too much. What I do is I just look up um, a particular school. I'll say, and I, I mentioned Carnegie Mellon, so let, well, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll be an equal opportunity person. So how about, um, you know, George Washington University? I'll put George Washington University in, boom, there's all the information that I need about George Washington. And, and they give, um, you know, general information like where it is, what type of school it is, is it public, is it private, is it for profit, is it two-year, is it four-year? It tells the student population. And also the student-to-faculty ratio. And some families really like this when they see, oh, you know, the student-to-faculty ratio is nice and low. That means my student is going to get, you know, individualized attention. But then it also breaks down the cost, uh, not just mm-hmm. the cost, but the total tuition, fees, room and board and books and miscellaneous expenses, not just for the current year, but for the previous four years. And it shows the percentage of increase that has gone up from mm-hmm. last year to this year. So it shows you how fast that's climbing. Um, mm-hmm. And then it gives a ton of information also on financial aid. Uh, I, what I look at specifically is how much of the institution's own money, either in need-based grants or merit-based scholarships, do they give to their incoming freshman class? So, you know, if you have a school that, you know, costs $65,000, but 98% of their incoming freshman class receives some free money from the school and the average award was $30,000, then you're thinking, okay, well, maybe we can afford this school. <laughs> right. Know? Maybe it's only going to be so, 35000 a year. Absolutely. Right. You know? And, mm-hmm. and then it also gives um, the average net price, which is the net price is the total cost of the school minus all free money from all sources, federal grants and state grants. And that will give you a really good idea. Okay, so, yes, maybe the sticker price is 65 but the average net price is only 35 So maybe we can look at this. Mm-hmm. And then um, finally, even though I'm on the finance side, I always look at the admissions data as well. They have admissions and enrollment data. And it includes the most recent year's admit rate, so the percentage of applicants that they offered admission to. And my favorite part is the most recent incoming classes standardized test scores. I love this because, you know, if the student says, okay, well, I have a, you know, an ACT composite score of 32 and I look at, and and I'm looking at this particular school, I can go and say, well, um, the the most recent incoming class 
it, with an ACT score of 32, they were in about the 75th percentile. So that tells me that, yeah, maybe, you know, just based on that one particular thing, not only might you get in, you might qualify for some merit-based awards if the school mm-hmm. offers them. So mm-hmm. there's just a ton of data. Um, they also have retention and graduation rates and campus security information and cohort default rates and just just a ton of information. But that, that's why College Navigator is just it's my favorite tool. It, you've convinced me. I've been on one or two <laughs> times, but now I think I need to go on there a little bit more frequently. Um, I don't think I realized that there was so much on there um, that yeah. would, be, um, would be useful. I mean, I sort of knew it in the back of my head. Um, so anything, any other resources that you haven't mentioned that you do encourage families to access or that you access yourself when you're working with families on this? Um, well, there is the, the Department of Education also has something called College Scorecard, which is kind of, it, it's very similar to College Navigator, but it's more of a search tool. Um, so families can use that. I don't use it that often just because I don't generally do a whole lot of searches, um, but that one is available as well. Um, if they're looking for outside scholarships, there are, you know, some free scholarship search websites that uh, I, I direct families to. Just never pay for a scholarship search. You don't have to. You can do it for yep. free. Um, and then, uh, no, so that, that's, that's about it. And then the high school guidance counselor, always a, always a good resource. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the scholarship searches that we do suggest would be scholarships.com. But I think your point about um, making sure that you're not paying for a scholarship search, there is, you shouldn't pay for that um, because all of those scholarships that are out there, you can find just by doing your own search and you don't have to um, pay anyone to do that search for you. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. All right. Um, Well, stay tuned. We are going to be doing a school spotlight after the break and also office hours talking about um, the dreaded Why This College essay. I don't know if people do dread it. I think it's an easy essay to write, and uh, I'm actually a big fan. So uh, we're going to give you some tips on that when we come back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. i excited to talk to you about 
writing those why this college essays, especially to all of those seniors and parents of seniors who are in the thick of the application process. But before we get to that, I did want to do uh, another school spotlight. This week, we're talking about the University of Dayton, which is in Dayton, Ohio. Um, And it might surprise you to know, because sometimes when a school has a title like that, you assume it is public, but University of Dayton is actually a private Catholic university that enrolls about 8,200 undergrads, most of whom come from out of state, um, and it's dedicated to serving the common good through community outreach and intellectual inquiry. Uh, UD sponsors about 40 student volunteer organizations, from the Social Justice Club to Wheels for Kids, and service clubs uh, can apply for mini-grants of up to $300 each semester to support their special projects throughout the year. The School of Business Administration and the School of Engineering enroll most of the university's undergraduate population, but UD offers unique majors within their College of Arts and Sciences, uh, such as human rights studies, medicinal pharmaceutical chemistry, and music therapy that are definitely worth exploring. Uh, All students at the university must complete the Common Academic Program, which is a set of approved elective and core courses that provide a foundation for further study in themes such as practical ethical action, diversity and social justice, and faith traditions. Students looking for an additional challenge can pursue the Honors Program. Freshmen uh, usually rank in the top 10% of their high school class or one of 18 combined bachelor's plus master's programs. So if you have a real focus on um, serving others and the common good, you might want to check out the University of Dayton. All right, with that, let's move on to this week's office hours. Uh, And here to talk through the Why This College essay with me is Mary Sue Yoon, who is my colleague, uh, a frequent guest, and a former admissions officer at Barnard College. Hi, Mary Sue. Hello, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good. Good. All right. So let's talk about the Why This College essay. And I guess my first question for you is, what is the Why This College essay and why do some schools require it? So the Why This College essay is a pretty common um, prompt for a supplemental essay um, for a lot of schools, actually. Um, And the, the point of the essay, it's, you know, worded a little bit differently at different schools. But the idea is, why do you want to attend this college? Why are you interested in being a student here? Um, and so that's kind of the beginning part of it. It has different variations on that. There's different lengths that we can kind of talk about, but the basics um, are the college wants you to make their case as to why you think that school is a good fit for your educational goals. All right. Uh, any schools um, that you could think of that asked for this off the top of your head? I have a few, but... <laughs> yeah, there's, there's quite a few of them that asked for it. Um, so I worked in the Barnard Admissions Office for a number of years, and, and Barnard has always asked this question. Um, University of Michigan has asked this question. Columbia. Um, Penn asked a version of the question. Um, a lot of the more selective schools do tend to ask it, but not exclusively. I mean, there's schools sort of all, all ranges of selectivity that do, off, that do ask a, a version of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think one thing I'd like to throw out there is that there are schools that ask for it and it's optional. I think Tulane is one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and Northwestern has a question that I believe they say is optional. Uh, and I think my suggestion for everyone is if the college is asking you why you are applying, you should really answer it. I don't care if they say it's optional. Mm-hmm. Uh why would you pass up right why would you pass up the opportunity to make the connection between you and the school clear why this is a good fit for you so right. please ignore the optional and <laughs> just write the essay um so you know one thing i think that's important to know is that why this college questions aren't all the same right so what are the different uh different kind of variations that you see so there can be um, a range uh, of lengths of the question. Um, so some schools might have a short version where they ask for somewhere between 150 and 250 words, which is kind of a paragraph worth of writing. Um, so that is challenging to the student who perhaps needs to, to be a little more concise and to the point in their writing. And other schools might have the limit be all the way up to um, you know, 650 words, which is the same length as the common application main essay. So that's more like a two-page, you know, more fully developed kind of piece. So there's kind of a short version and a long version of it. Um, also, some schools 
and might ask a particular nuance of it about um, sort of the general, why are you interested in this college versus the more specific, why are your academic interests a fit for this college? So there sometimes has a more academic um, bent to the question, and sometimes <clears throat> it's a more general, like, what do you like about us kind of Right, thing. right. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you also, you kind of almost need to parse the question out and get to the core of what exactly are they asking us here? Right. Um, you know, sometimes I'm like, do we need an essay to ask for an essay? And if you really drill down and highlight the important words, just that in that way, you'll make sure, okay, I am addressing every part of this, this question. So I uh, certainly encourage students to do that. Uh, all right. So now we know what they are and the different options. And, you know, I would even add that there are some that are even as short as 50 to 100 words, which is mm -hmm. not even close to a paragraph, really. Right. Um, so an another, another one that you might have to tackle, and it may feel like, oh, it's 50 words, I'll just throw something on the page. It's an essay, and you only have 50 words, but you better make the most of those 50 words um, that they're giving you. So... What are some tips that you give your students when you're sitting down with them or they're sitting down to write one of these for the first time? So I, I think that in general, many students tend to um, misread this, this question in the application and kind of take it from the, the wrong approach. So if you are taking it from the wrong approach, you're not alone in that. Um, so, but I find that many students that I talk to, they think it's really a question where the school is asking tell us what programs you like about us. Um, mm -hmm. And my tactic on it when I talk to students is, is more, you're not telling the school why they are so awesome. They know why yes. they're so awesome. Yes. You are saying why you are a perfect fit for the programs that they offer and what in your background you would um, take and, and run with on their campus. So I'll give an example from um, probably the one I know best, which is the Barnard question, which has been around for a, a long time, and it's a very simple, it's a general one, it says, and it's about 250 words, it says, you know, tell us what you like about Barnard, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but um, what you like about Barnard and what you would use on our campus, or what you would utilize on our campus. And um, invariably, the, an the most common answer that we got to that question was, well, I like Barnard College because it's a small liberal arts college for women located in New York City and <laughs> affiliated with Columbia University. Right. Okay, all of that is perfectly factually correct, and Barnard is a fantastic school and has all those attributes, but it doesn't tell me anything about the student. And in fact, right. we really had a shorthand on our reader cards for that, that, yep, st standard answer. Like, that's all we would write. And so it didn't really add anything to the application for the student to illuminate the things that we already knew about the campus. In mm -hmm. fact, those things were in our in our view books, in our taglines of all the, the admissions materials that we put out. So we knew pretty well what those were. Um, I think the much better answer for that type of question would be, you know, I came to visit campus and I sat in on Professor Smith's anthropology class and I was captivated by her discussion of this particular research she was doing and this relates to my own interest in this field because this, or I saw that there yep. was a women's writing symposium, and, and I want to be a writer, and I've already been involved in writing through my lit magazine, and I've already, you know, so it's sort of taking the features of that school and relating them back to you and your experiences, and that's, I think, the, the good workings of a Why This College kind of essay. I could not agree more. The, my other thing um, you were saying, you know, you don't, don't tell the school what they have, they already know. You know, the other thing that makes me nuts that I'm always eliminating, striking out is the pen is, because now I worked at Penn and I read yeah. uh, thousands of why, the, why Penn essays. Penn is so fabulous. It's the best school. It's so prestigious. It's so this. I'm like, first of all, give me a break. I work here. I already think it's a great school. Um, that tells me nothing. Um, and how does that have anything to do with why you're interested? Oh, you're, if you're interested because it's a prestigious school, um, it's not going to get you dinged, but it's not a good reason. Right. Um, you need to dig more deeply than that. And there's no place in this essay for flattery. They already know they're great. 
They know you like them. You're applying. It's not about that. It's making that deeper connection to your point. Um, And so the first thing I tell my students is before you write a word, you need to do your research. You need to go to the website. You know, maybe you didn't go and sit in on a class. And so that's, you know, it would be great if you had and you could write about that. But even if you didn't, there's this awesome invention called the Internet that allows you to access everything you really need to know um, right there at your fingertips. And yes, you might need to spend an hour or two digging up the stuff that's going to be impactful, but you need to do it in order to write a good, uh, a good Why This College essay. What are some things, specific things, that you encourage students to include in these? Um, well, absolutely, I agree. I, say, I tell students to do their research, um, and I uh, encourage them to do the research, but not just turn the supplemental essay into a list. It's not just saying, I'm going to list every major club professor that I find intriguing on your campus. You have to connect the dots back to what you have done already. Um, mm-hmm. So I will say to look at, you know, the student activities page. I do find maybe it's a generational bias, but I will, I will find that sometimes a student will look and they'll say, I didn't see anything on the website, or I Googled it and I didn't see anything. Well, sometimes you have to dig a couple layers down in the website or, or go through a couple different sources to find it. But look for um, the student activities page or look for campus events or look for... Um, but, you know, the actual course requirements for the particular department that you might want to major in and what professors in that department are doing for their research. Um, and think about it from that aspect, like you would research any kind of paper for school or, or something like that, that it's, you're sort of finding out as much as possible from as many different angles as possible about the school. But then once you had that list of, okay, here's things that I find intriguing, rather than just listing them, relate them back to your own experiences. You know, it's great that you love environmental studies. Why do you love environmental studies? Mm-hmm. Does that relate to um, a recycling club that you started at your high school? Does that, you know, and sort of make those connections as to what type of student you would be on that campus. Um, and I, that's often how I advise my students when they are um, getting through these essays and trying to figure out, you know, what fits. Also, it is sometimes nice to, from a more general sense, you know, talk about um, kind of the, the campus culture, if you can get a sense of that. Sometimes you can't get that if you, you don't get a sense of that if you haven't visited the campus. But, um, but you know, what about their environment particularly speaks to you? Um, right. I would totally agree with the idea of, you know, particularly for the, the more selective schools, telling them that they're prestigious or elite or highly ranked is not helpful information, and frankly, it makes the admissions office just think, okay, they're just picking us based on our ranking, but they don't actually know what we're about. Um, right. And, and I think that, you know, I've had students, I'm sure you have too, uh, try and apply to all eight Ivy League schools, which always baffles me because I find them to be so different in campus environment and culture and um, philosophy that I, I don't see the common thread there except for the fact that they're highly ranked. So, um, it does require you to, to be a little introspective and more and deeper in what you're looking for in a college, and and sometimes that can be tough for some students to kind of go, well, I don't know, I just I'm applying because someone said I should. So, right. Um, <laughs> I, I think it, it that's the part that's the reason to have that question on the application for the admissions officers. We want you to think about those things before you actually come to our campus. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I would add in terms of, you know, sort of tying it maybe to things that you've done, also um, something that I will have students think about is tying it to what their goals are for their education, right? So maybe you haven't been involved in environmental science, but you you have a developing interest in that area and you look forward to taking X class because it's going to allow you to explore it a little further or it's going to provide the background you need for your ultimate goal to be an environmental lawyer, whatever it is. Um, if you can't connect it to things you've done or you, um, you have some specific goals for your future connected to that, you could do both, you could do one, you could do the other. Whatever you do, you can't forget the why. You know, right. you have to have the, you need the specifics, but you also, to your great point, need to connect the dots with the why. Um, 
any we're running um a, a little uh, close to the end of our time but any um important things that you stress with a student um that you could share with our listeners today yeah i mean i guess just a final word on the ones that have a more academic bent to them um so sometimes I'll have a student say, well, I don't know academically what I want to major in, um, and is it okay to be undecided? And so um, I always stress the point that undecided should not mean unengaged in your academics. Um, you might have five different things you're interested in, so you're not decided which of those five things, but you can't say, I don't know, I'm interested in everything. That's too broad. So show the admissions office if it is a more academically leaning supplemental essay okay, here's the, I'm not decided yet, but here's the things that are, are more intriguing to me at this point. And they don't hold you to it. You know, you can pick whatever major in most cases you want later on, but I think at least laying out for them what your current thinking is uh, is important for their understanding of your process and how you're um, considering all of this in your college search. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. The uh, one piece of advice I would also give is that these do need to be very specific, but once you've written one, you could swap out the specifics of one school and swap in specifics from another. Just do not forget to remove all specifics. So if you're going to write a Y pen um, based on a Y brown, which is a bad example because they're totally different lengths, don't forget to remove every mention of brown in your Y pen. Mary Sue... Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It was uh, uh, hopefully people are going out armed to write this essay now or a little bit better armed. Great. Great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. Thanks to all my guests today. Uh, Next week, Ian is here. He is going to be doing some segments around um, dispelling the I heard that myths, one of my favorite things to do when it comes to college admissions. Um, He's also going to be looking at the supporting documents that are required with applications, what they are, who's responsible for getting them to the colleges. Um, We're going to take an inside peek at the BU financial aid officer, courtesy of um, one of our current college coach people who worked in that office. Um, If you have questions for us, send them to us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. We do uh, listeners question and answer segments, and so we'd love to get your questions for that. Visit our archives and our blog. And don't forget, I have a great Huffington Post series going on uh, on evaluating your chances for an Ivy, uh, and I have a post coming up on essays. And then there's also that great blog series by Elise Krantz, on the Common app. Uh, and we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.